How many are glad that the blood of Jesus speaks for you? Amen. Amen. And a wonderful thing. And we are thankful to be here. I've been so looking forward to come uh, to be a part of the chapel here at West Coast Baptist College. Uh, I praise God for this place and the way that God has blessed it in so many ways. I remember the first time I preached here in the North Building. Uh, the entire college was there. And uh, we met in small rooms. And I believe it was about 50 students in the first year. And then a few more the next and the next. And God just started growing and blessing the college in a great way. And uh, here we are, just a wonderful wonderful place that God has raised up. And uh, I pray that you're caught up in the wonder of it all. I pray that every day you say to yourself, I can't believe that I'm here. Can't even believe that God would allow me to be here in this place for such a time as this. And my prayer is that you'll learn everything you can and just be like a sponge and just take it all in and say, by God's grace, I want to be everything that God would have me to be. And uh, I appreciate so much my dear friend, Pastor Chapel, the way that God has used he and Mrs. Mrs. Chapel and their family. And uh, man, I, again, uh, I'm blessed because I came here a lot of years ago and uh, just when everything was starting and I've just watched this place grow for the glory of God and for his goodness. I appreciate this wonderful background for me today. And uh, I guess it just is so fitting, you know, but anyway, uh, I love the, the pink chair touch and all that. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll see. I'm going to stay away from that. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to spend a little time on that because I know that I'll get in trouble and I'll say exactly the wrong thing and say something that will offend somebody. But anyway, uh, I hope they have a wonderful ladies' conference. Anyway, uh, I did send Pastor a little text about it and um, uh, appreciated what he did in, in memory here. But anyway, uh, let's pray that uh, the Lord would give us a great, great chapel time. Most of you don't know me, and I don't know you. Uh, I haven't been here in a few years, and of course, COVID-19 shut us all down, and uh, everything was locked down for several years. So now, basically, a whole new student body is here and, uh, from the last time that I preached for chapel. So it's, uh, it's a little different. You're saying, well, who is this guy? What's he going to do? You're sizing me up, and I'm definitely uh, sizing you up as well. So I'm thinking how, what kind of a crowd you're going to be. Uh, I feel like the guy who sat down in the airplane, and he sat down in the middle seat of an airplane. He was a young college student and he sat down and prayed. He said, oh Lord, please give me the girl that I could marry. I pray that you'll bring a girl that would sit next to me and be my wife. And I've been praying. And he prayed and he looked up and a young lady came down and sat right next to him. They both stood, uh, stared straight ahead, afraid to even look at each other. And finally they kind of looked and their eyes met. And uh, she said, excuse me, sir, are you married? He said, no, I'm not, but I'm praying for God's perfect will for my life. She said, so am I. She said, sir, I've been praying for a man who is a Native American Indian by birth. I love that folklore and all that goes way back uh, to the days of the Indians, and I, I want an Indian man. She said, but sir, I've always wanted to marry a man who's Jewish by origin. It goes all the way back to Abraham and the prophets and Elijah and all that. I've got to marry a Jewish man. She said, but I have a real problem because I'm, I'm from the South and I have to have a man who's a redneck and drives a pickup truck with a gun rack on the back. She said, if I ever found a man with those qualities, I would know he was God's will for me. She said, by the way, what is your name? 
He thought for a minute. He said, my name's Geronimo Goldstein, but you can call me Bubba. Anyway, uh, you, don't, you don't know me and I don't know you, but we'll have a good time together. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 2 together. Let's all stand for the reading of the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter number 2. And I know that you had, I know you had Dr. Gibbs here this week. And Dr. Gibbs called me about a matter and said, yes, I'm coming back from uh, West Coast, Brother Rossi. It was a wonderful time. And, he, and I said, oh, you were at West Coast? Yes, I preached two days. I said, I'm going to call and cancel the meeting. Amen? There is nothing left. But anyway, uh, he, he preached on all of it. I heard he preached a powerful message on the tongue and uh, how God used that. And uh, of course, he is always uh, such a blessing. And you're so privileged to get to hear men like Dr. David Gibbs, and to hear him preach to you. Uh, I pray that you cherish that memory for the rest of your days to hear that man of God and just to sit under his ministry. So I feel very much like Dr. Gibbs was here. Uh, I feel like a cap gun going off after a cannon. But anyway, uh, we'll see how this goes. Second Kings chapter number two. Let's look at it together. And I like to read for time's sake, I'd like to begin reading, if I may, in verse number 9. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9. It came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a, what? Next two words. A double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. I'm going to speak for a few moments this morning on a double portion. A double portion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for you allowing us to be here today. Thank you for this great place, the wonderful staff that you've had here. And we thank you for Pastor Chapel and his incredible leadership and the way you've used and anointed him. And Father, thank you for these good men, some a bit older, some younger men, working together as a team to train and build and bless this generation of young people. Thank you for Dr. Getch. We pray you'll bless him wherever he is today. Dr. Rasmussen, others that are traveling, pray your good hand to rest upon each one. And then we do pray for the ladies' meeting tonight. Would you bless it in a great way and bless Mrs. Chapel and all who will come. We do pray for a leadership conference coming up soon. May your hand, your mighty hand, rest upon it. Thank you for what you will do. We give you praise. We give you glory together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, Amen. amen. And you may be seated. And by the way, if I do this, it means I'd like for you to say, Amen. So God is good. Amen. And uh, from the south, they'll say, Yes, Amen. 
And uh, over here on this side, if I pull on this ear, you can say, yes. Now, don't say it like you're from Wisconsin. And I'll uh, say it, you know, yes, brother. And I'll say, uh, yes. I mean, ladies, this is one time in your life we want you to be, say it like a man. And I mean, just, uh, all right, so uh, God is good. Amen. And he's good all the time. Yes. Very good. All right, thank you. And I'll skip the rest. I have a whole nother point to that. But uh, we're going to learn this morning some things about a man whose name was Elijah the Tishbite. If you study your Bible, you'll find in the Old Testament, much is written about this dominant man of God. Elijah was the great prophet uh, who had uh, confronted the wicked king Ahab and his doubly wicked wife, whose name was Jezebel. And they had quite a storyline between them for a number of years. And now Elijah the prophet, this man of God, is about to go off into heaven. Most of us know already the fact that he was taken up into heaven by, in a whirlwind and God uh, took him out and they saw the chariots of fire and all that that went out with him with great drama and this man of God was translated into heaven uh, without ever seeing death. He was a great man. He was a very unpopular individual. Uh, if you met uh, Elijah, he definitely wouldn't have had the latest designer stuff. You wouldn't have said, man, nice shoes, nice shirt, wow, beautiful tie, double knot, none of those things. Yeah, he was out of style almost on purpose, and God used this man in a great and mighty way to prophesy, especially to the northern kingdom of Israel. He is now about to go off the scene. In the last years of his life, God gave him a younger man named Elisha. And Elisha the prophet has followed him and served him in the same way some of the good men of this ministry help and bless and encourage Pastor Chapel. And I mean, listen, if the pastor wants you to wash and wax his car, that's a good thing. Say amen. He said, well, brother, that's a mundane. No, that's not a mundane thing. That's being a blessing to a man of God. And the Bible said he was one who poured water for Elijah. He was a servant and gave his life to helping the man of God be and retain that godly power and glorify God through his light. Now, Elijah is about to go into heaven. The sons of the prophets are aware of this. They warn Elisha, don't you know that your master's going to be taken away today? He said, I, I know it, hold your peace. And uh, he knew that. And these young prophets who were learning and studying under this man of God and learning to be men of God themselves, they knew in their heart and they discerned this by the discernment of God that Elijah is now going to be taken away. Elijah, three different times, Times, says to Elijah, he said, Elisha, tarry ye here. Now, Elijah is an interesting man of God. His very name means, my God is Yahweh. Every time you uh, said his name, it was already clear who he was. He didn't have to have a Jesus first lapel pin. He didn't have to have, uh, you know, a greater shirt or anything like that. Uh, just say his name, and it was automatic. My God is Jehovah or Yahweh. Elisha, his name means Yahweh or Jehovah is salvation. So these two men together constitute the fact that one was, this is my God and my God is salvation. My God saves. Everywhere you go, there ought to be somebody to say, those two people are saved by the grace of God and they're giving salvation out and giving the gospel out everywhere they go. So those two men uh, were great greatly used of God as Old Testament prophets. Now, 
He is checking out. Now he is going to heaven. And Elisha, Elijah three times says, you tarry here. And three times Elisha says, I will not leave thee. I am staying with you. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to stay with God and to stay with a man of God. is to say, by God's grace, I'm going to get under a pastor, and I'm going to serve Christ and glorify Him, and I'm going to stay with the man of God. Somebody say amen right there. I'm going to stay behind a good man of God. I don't care if some podcaster comes along. I don't care if some newfangled guy comes along. Follow me. You ought to say, by the grace of God, I'm going to follow this man of God. Why? Because he's already been there. Elijah's already performed. 15 miracles, and he's getting ready to do his last miracle before he checks out. He's already performed miracles. He has already preached the Word of God. He's not starting it out. He doesn't have a first-time miracle pack in his pocket to give it a try to see if it's going to happen. He's not uh, producing miracle theories. He's not coming through with miracle themes. He is a man of God who has a walking, living miracle who is saying that my God is Jehovah. So he says, I will not leave thee. Now, he asks him for something. Elijah, finally, they cross the River Jordan. And this great miracle, he takes his mantle, he wraps it, and he smites it, smites the river, and the waters go back and forth. Let's just read it very quickly so I don't misquote the Bible. And he says, when he smites the, the river, they, he sees that they are He took his mantle, wrapped it together, verse 8, and smote the waters. They were divided hither and thither, so they too went over on dry ground. Sometimes we miss things. I mean, this is a miracle. The river just stops, and there's no mud there. It's the same thing God did for the Israelites when they came over uh, from Jordan and came to, to Jericho, and God did a miracle through the life of Elijah. Now he's up to 16, and God used him in a mighty way. Now they get to the other side, and it came to pass when they were gone over. Verse 9, Elijah said unto Elisha, wait. He had passed a test. Three times he said, you tarry here. Three times he said, no, I will not leave thee. I believe that was a test of his character. He stayed with the man of God. He stayed with Elijah. And now he says, I will not leave thee. And look at verse number nine. Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Could you imagine that? This miracle-working prophet asking you, you can have anything you want. You can have anything you could possibly want. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I mean, I heard about a fellow was on a deserted island, and an angel came and said, you can have three things. He said, "Uh, you can have three things. He said, really? Yes. He said, okay. He said, first of all, uh, I I want a speedboat to get me home. Great. Full of money. Okay, great. Secondly, he said, uh, you see how homely looking I am. I'm not married. I want you to make, uh, I want you to, uh, well, secondly, I want you to give all kinds of money. The boat's loaded with money and fuel. Thirdly, one more thing. He said, you see, you're looking at me. I'm not much to look at. I want you to make me irresistible to all women. Immediately, he turned into a chocolate cake. Say amen. But anyway, you better be careful what you ask for. You better be asked and think about that. This man was given the opportunity to get anything he wanted. Ask what I shall do. Ask 
what I shall do for thee. And I love this. He didn't say, wait a minute, let me think about this. It was already on his heart. He already knew what he wanted. He didn't want a new boat. He didn't want a new house. He didn't want millions of dollars in the bank. He didn't want to be the best dressed and the coolest and the most ripped dude in the place. He didn't want any of those things. He said, you know what I want? He said, Elijah, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He said, Elijah, I want what you have, and I want twice as much of it. I want you to give me the twice of the Spirit of God and the power of God that has so wonderfully resided upon your life. I want you to give me an endowment from on high of the Holy Spirit. I want you to give me the grace of God that I've seen in and through you. I think he was praying for the boldness of a man of God to go confront one of the most wicked men the world has ever produced. And then even, even more so to produce his wife named Jezebel was one of the worst people ever born on this planet. I've seen a lot of little babies. I love little babies and they're, I mean, I can't help myself. You gotta be careful if you're in a restaurant, don't go over and pick up somebody's baby. You might get in trouble for that. And I, I forget where I'm at. I always go, excuse me, could I, could I see hi? Just, could I say hi to them? They said, go ahead. I said, I'm a grandpa. I've got eight grandchildren. Okay. And I, man, it's, they're irresistible. I think brother Bert, didn't you just have a little, a little girl? When? Two weeks ago, so a little baby, that's, a, that's amazing. And they're, they're awesome. And understand, I always ask, what's her name? And they'll give me the name, this is Samantha, this is Olivia, a lot of new names out there. This is Sylvia, this is that and that, and all kinds of nice new names. And of course, there might be a Bible name, Rebecca, or some nice name like that. I've never had a young lady say, this is our new baby, her name's Jezebel. <laughs> Not one. Not too many Hillary's now either, say amen to that. But, I'm, but I mean, but I mean, this is my new baby. Oh, this is, this is, oh, and, and they'll tell me, Jezebel, she struck fear in the hearts of God's people. She was a, a, a wicked person, a murderer. And yet Elijah boldly, he confronted her. He confronted sin. He confronted Ahab. We get this idea of, of Elijah run up saying, you're a wicked, bad sinner. Hey Amen. I think he was brokenhearted. I think he went to them with compassion and said, I haven't troubled Israel. Ahab, you have. It's sin. It's what you've done to our nation. Sir, repent. Please give your life to God. I don't think he was this uh, smoking firebrand with laser, uh, you know, equipped fingertips and just nailing people. And I don't think it was like that at all. I think he was a man of God with a broken heart who called people repentance. And he said, I've seen that. I've watched that. I've watched this leather girded fellow who's known as a wild man I have watched this out of style fellow walk with God, with the power of God. And he said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. He prayed, I think, for the spirit of prophecy. 
Here was a man who knew what was going to happen. He went to King Ahab and said, it shall not, there shall not be dew nor rain, uh, but according to my word. Three and a half years, he shut the heavens down. He called on a drought. I mean, not even dew on the ground. Even out here in the desert, if you go out in the morning, you might catch a little bit of dew out on the grass or whatever. Nothing, dry, completely dry. He was a, a prophet. I see the spirit of purity. It was a man that was absolutely 100% sold out to God. We think about purity in churches like ours. We think about purity being, I don't smoke, drink, and chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. Amen. I mean, we have all that down. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about heartfelt purity given over to God for His glory. Now, if you open up His coat inside, I've had preachers, uh, there's one famous preacher, whenever I see him, without fail, I'll say, hey, how are you, brother? I go, hey, brother, I'll see, and I'll turn it over, turn my tie over and see what kind it is. And I don't know why that is. I put a smiley face under there uh, one day and said, hey, brother, I saw him. He turned it over. He said, uh, I said, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. but." If you open up his coat, if you open up his coat on the inside, let's see, Joseph A. Banks, signature gold, that's nice. If you open up his coat, it would say, not for sale, sold out to God. My brand is 100% pure-hearted, glorifying, lifting up God in all that I do. You see, my God is Jehovah. I belong to a living God. He was a pure man of God. There was a spirit of prophecy, a spirit of purity, a spirit of prayer. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her, forth her fruit. He was an effective, fervent man of prayer. And he said, I want that. I want that for my life. I want the spirit of prayer. And of course, he wanted to have the spirit of power with God and men. We talk a lot about the power of God. We get this sense, boy, let we pray for the power of God. And we think the, the heavens are going to crack and, and somebody's going to have the tesseract. Just all of a sudden, uh, one of these uh, weird new things are going to happen with the Avengers or whatever. And we'll have that little rod and hit people on the head. And uh, I mean, uh, understand, that's not the power of God. The power of God is when God himself begins to manifest himself through us for his glory for his honor. I've got news for you. You already have in you the power of God. The Holy Spirit abides in us. The moment we get saved, the Bible says, what? Know you not your, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God? And God wants us to let his power flow through our life out of a pure heart, a pure life for his glory and honor. Now this man, he said, I want a double portion. How many ever asked for seconds on something? You say, well, you know, we're at college and it's Bible college food, so not often. But anyway, I mean, you've asked for seconds. You'd like to get your hands on those Chick-fil-A's, say amen tomorrow. But, uh, but, you know, you had some food and they said, you may now have seconds. Everyone's gone through the line. And boy, you go through again and you get more. Now, don't 
don't bother me with a single scoop of ice cream. We're not going there. I want two. Amen? I want double portion on my ice cream. We want to have two, not one. And there's certain things that one is just not good enough. Imagine giving somebody a single thin slice of pizza. Here you go. Here's your dinner. Now I want several of those and, and on and on. He said one slice and one portion of God is not enough for me. I'll tell you why in a moment. He said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. A man with a double portion, there's several things. First of all, is a man with a consuming desire. He has one thing in life that he desires, and that is to walk with God himself. The most important thing on this property, the most important thing that Pastor Chapel wants to instill into you is not even methods and how to do things. That's important. Not even all of the doctrines. Those are vital. Those are important. I think the teachers and your professors and the people in this uh, college, their great desire is for you to develop a heart for God, to walk with God, to have an amen, to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, where he said in Psalm 42, verse 1, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In Psalm 63, David said, O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee to see my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. This is what Elijah was saying. He was saying, Elisha was saying, I want a double portion of a consuming desire for God to reside upon my heart. I went to Bible college years ago and all the way there I prayed, prayed for God's will. I prayed that I would find my life partner, that I would find the right lady to marry. I prayed God just lead and guide my steps. I walked into orientation. They had a big foyer where we all, everybody was standing around. And uh, I walked in and I just kind of looked around and surveyed the scene. I was a little bit older. I got saved later in life out of a very bad lifestyle. And I walked in and all the freshmen were there and I just kind of walked around, looked around nonchalantly and I looked over across the room and there was a girl. And I mean, the verse just came to mind, you know? She looketh good to me. And I mean, <laughs> whew. And man, I saw her. I said, wow, is she beautiful. Wow, what a beautiful girl. And uh, he said, oh, that's wrong. No, it, it was 100%. I said, man, what a beautiful girl. And I looked across and I tried to sort of make my way over there and be as nonchalant as possible and sort of, you know, be as cool as I possibly could about like the guy who tried to meet girls at the ski resort and uh, sit next to them and just be as cool as possible and get on the lift line and look over and say, so how are you doing today, rental? I mean, anyway, they have it on their skis. But anyway, uh, I mean, I, I said, uh, I just walked up and man, this guy came in front of me. And uh, I mean, he was a muscle man. He was a weightlifter. He was a 4A running back out of Missouri. He, man, he had sharp hair as a handsome guy. He would preach, man. I mean, this guy, uh, he was an evangelist already coming in. He would preach, young people tonight, you need God. And he'd, man, he'd do like the big old muscles and pop out. You need the Lord in your life. And he was after her. And he said, you need God. And uh, I'd preach, young people, turn your Bibles to <laughs> Ephesians 1. 
And somebody said, did you inhale helium or something? I think my voice changed at 26 or something, but, and you need God. Hey, you got a mosquito bite. You need something on for that? Didn't work. And man, he was after. But he was, we had a, we had a football game, game going on, flag. And uh, he was on one team, I was on the other. I thought, I'll show him. And uh, I played, uh, you know, I played safety and I was getting ready. And uh, man, I was watching. That guy took a handoff, took off over right side on a power sweep. I said, there he is. I went to grab his flag. I mean, Brother Bert, he literally ran me over and used me for traction. And I looked over and there's the girl. But he was pumping iron and I was praying and fasting, amen? And, and uh, a club director of a Bible club said, hey, brother, would you help with the Raytown South Bible Club? I said, well, absolutely. He said, I need a club director. Okay, I'll do it. We'll do training. He said, there's a girl that's going to help with that club. We have a guy and a girl. Her name is Susan Philby. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> you mean that girl? The long brown hair? Yeah, Susan Philby. I said, there's a God in heaven. Amen. Amen. And so we became club directors together. Of course, we'd meet at the club. She called me one day and said, Brother Rossi, uh, I am so embarrassed. I, she said, my car will not start. I am so sorry. And could you drive me to the club? I said, well, me and Brother Massey will pick you up and uh, we'll make sure we're allowed to do that. We were all very appropriate. We got in the car, drove her to the club, took her back home. And I said, well, you need me to fix it for you tomorrow? She said, well, oh, could you please? And I went over the next day and I put the, club, the plug wires back on that I'd taken off that afternoon. <laughs> How many believe you need to put some feet to your prayers? <clears throat> and we became friends and man, and then best friends. And then I told her one day, you know, I, I really like you a lot. You know, I'm just said, well, we're just friends. I said, oh, brother, that's so deflating. But eventually God finally got a hold of her heart. She knew she was in love with me, and we fell in love, and, and we married. We have wonderful children and a family. You know, nobody had to force me to go see her. Man, you need to get up, brother, and go over here and go see Susan now. Hey, brother, come on, let's go. You're late. It's good. No, no, I was always early. I couldn't wait to see her. I would stay places where I knew that she was going to be and just kind of wait around and just, hey, I happen to be here. Yes, I was a Bible college stalker. Say amen to that. But uh, I mean, yeah. And I'll admit it. I was in love with her. I wanted to marry her. I can't wait to see her tomorrow afternoon. She's speaking at a ladies' conference uh, tonight and tomorrow, and I can't wait to see her tomorrow. Why? Because I have a, a consuming desire to be with her. Wait a minute. Do you love the Lord that much? Do you desire to be with God and His presence and His power? You say, oh, you need to get up to pray. You ought to be up stirred and praying before they ever call you to prayer and be a good man of God and say, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So number one, uh, he has a consuming desire. Secondly, a complete detachment. If there was ever a man who was unworldly, if there was ever a man who was separated to God, it certainly was Elijah the prophet. He was just, there was nothing there, any attachment to the world for him. He was offered money by Gehazi, he was offered all kinds of things. Can't, no thank you, I don't want it. My life is given over to God. 
You know, the Bible says, 1 John 2, verse 15, uh, God said, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Understand, I'm all, all about standards. I'm glad you ought to uh, make it clear that you're a man. You ought to make it very clear that you're a woman. You ought to dress appropriately and be modest and all the things. That are, these are very important things. Please, somebody say amen, please, or I'm going to get off track and preach on that. And uh, I know that. But wait a minute, separation, it doesn't begin here, it begins here. It begins in a heart that's separated to God. Pastor Chapel and I were both deeply impacted by a great man of God who's in heaven now. He was greatly impacted by this man of God. Dr. Lee Robertson was the pastor and at Highland Park Baptist Church, the founder of Tennessee Temple, and, and was so greatly used of God. And he and I talked about him at dinner last night. What a great, just a, a man of God. We had him in our church, and I, I said, Dr. Robertson, guess what? We're having, we're going to have a handbell choir, and we're training these kids, and they're going to go to malls, and they're going to ring. And while they're ringing, we're going to give out tracts and stuff and get people saved. And it's Christmas time coming. It's going to be a great time. They're all going to be dressed nice and ring these malls, uh, ring these bells, uh, and have Christmas caroling at the mall. They said, oh, it'll be too cold out. Now, this is about 1994, maybe 95. It'll be too cold. The bells will get cold, and they'll break. He said, the kids will get cold. Who's going to do that? I said, no, we're going to be at the mall. Well, I know. He had never been inside of a mall. His wife said, Lee, malls are indoors. She actually called him Lee. I couldn't believe my ears. And, oh, really? He didn't even know. He didn't have any time for such things. I asked Dr. Robertson one day, why do you only wear the same suit every time, all the time? Why do you always wear just one blue suit or a black suit for a funeral? Always. Blue double-breasted suit. You didn't ever have to wonder what he was wearing. He said, I have the same suit, several of those. He said, I never have to wonder about where to wear it, what to wear. All of my ties are lined up. I wear one one day, the next, the next, the next. I go through the rotation. Never have to think about what I'm going to wear, I don't have any time thinking about what I'm going to wear. Do you understand what that is? That's separation. That's saying my life is given over to God. Am I preaching against you, you know, looking nice? Of course not. Am I preaching against you having some clothes and a selection? Uh, of course. I would be a hypocrite to say that. I have the same things in my closet. I have clothes. But here's a man of God who's saying, my life is so given over to souls, I don't have time to worry about what I'm going to put on. Hmm. Didn't someone else say something like that? Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or for raiment, what you shall put on for the morrow, or for the morrow, for the morrow shall, have, shall take care of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The Lord Jesus made it clear our mind is supposed to be on heaven. This man was completely detached to God. Are you still here? I'll be done in a moment. That was a cue for you to say amen or something. Are you still here? Amen. All right, good. So there's a complete detachment, and then there's consecrated 
devotion to Christ. Elijah was willing to die. And Elisha said, I am willing for the same. I want my life to be completely given over for thee. Many times he put himself in harm's way. Many times he went out in front of people who he knew were the enemies of God. Yet he said, my life is completely devoted to Christ. My life is completely given over. You know this verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren. You might be able to say it with me. If you can, let's quote it together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Dr. Tom Farrell, who went to heaven, I guess now two years ago, was a dear friend, great preacher of the Word of God. And I heard Dr. Farrell tell the story of a Korean girl, a little peasant girl in a village. There was a pastor who was building a church. God was using the pastor in a great way. They were finishing the church, but did not have the funds to put the roof on, and the monsoon season was right around the corner. The pastor said, we need the funds for the monsoon season. We need the money. This is a very poor community, very little money. The next day, that little peasant girl went to her doctor and said, doctor, I would like for you to perform a surgery on me. I would like for you to remove my eye and sell it to science. I understand that that could be done. He said, excuse me? She said, I would like to have my eye removed and sell it to science. He said, are you starving? She said, no, she said, no I have a little bit of food. What is wrong? She said, well, pastor, or excuse me, doctor, my church needs a new roof, and we don't have the money. I thought if I could sell my eye, I can live with one eye, but I can't live with our church not having a new roof for the monsoon season that's about to come. He said, young lady, do you know what it would be like to live without an eye? She said, I've been living with a patch over my eye for the last day. I'm sure I can do this. He said, come back, please, in two weeks. She came back two weeks later. He laid her on the operating table. She got ready. He was ready. Are you sure? Please don't do this. She said, no, sir, please take the eye out. Please do it quickly before I change my mind. The doctor said that won't be necessary. He pulled the curtain back, and there were four other physicians behind a curtain. He had told them about this young lady. He said, young lady, we have decided if you showed up, we will give the money. You don't have to give your eye. They bought the roof for the church. Not only did they buy the roof for the church on dedication Sunday of the new building, that young peasant girl was sitting next to that doctor, and that doctor walked forward and got saved by the grace of God. Why? She gave her body a living sacrifice. There is consecrated devotion, complete detachment. There is consuming desire, and finally, there is a confirming discovery. There was the power of God upon his life when he was taken into heaven he saw Elijah, and that was the condition. If he saw him, the power would come. And he said, when he saw him go up into heaven, 
the mantle fell down, and Elisha picked it up, went over to the river Jordan, and cried, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the waters, and the Bible said they went hither and thither, and they saw the sons of the prophets looking on. They said, Behold, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elijah. And they came to me and bowed themselves to the ground before him in verse 15. There was no doubt that the mighty hand of God had fallen and settled upon Elisha's life. I had a lot more to say. I'll have to close. Do you know that a double portion is needed this morning? We're in twice the mess that we've ever been before. We are living in a generation that is twice as sinful as they've ever been. You say, well, it's always been this way, Pastor. No, it has not. I'm only, I'm only 65 years old. I'm young. And in my lifetime, the world has completely changed. Completely. Things are being done today that would not have been thought of when I was 25 years old and a Bible college student and preparing for life not even thought of. And I've seen in my lifetime the world change. God said, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know what America needs? Needs a large group of young men and women who will say, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me.